It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome into another episode of Locked On Wolves. Today on the show, breaking down the seasons of a couple of really interesting rotation players uh, who really, their stock kind of went opposite directions this season. One is Malik Beasley, the other is Jared Vanderbilt. We're going to break down their seasons relative to expectations. What can we expect from each of them? next season in the 22-23 campaign. It's all coming up on the show. Welcome in. You are Locked On Wolves. You are Locked On Timberwolves. Your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Lockdown Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beek and I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Happy Thursday, everybody. And a big thank you for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every single day. Of course, you can listen to Lockdown Wolves anywhere. It's free and available basically on every single platform, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms like Apple, Google, Spotify, Odyssey, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find this show. You can also follow on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves and at B Beacon with two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. All right, we're in the middle of going on a going through a play review series. We're almost to the end of the roster. I started with the players who played the least this season, broke down roughly three a show. We're now into the rotation and moving into the starters. On today's show, we're going to talk about Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley. Coming into the season, Malik Beasley was seen as as kind of this friend, you know, probably not a starter, but, you know, either he or Patrick Beverly would start. He'd be kind of the sixth man type this year. Of course, he had all the issues last year. We'll get into that in a second. And then he had a really disappointing season, you know, despite a few peaks, it was mostly valleys. Jared Vanderbilt was kind of the opposite was, uh, I wouldn't call him an afterthought, but a lot of folks weren't expecting him to be a starter. He wasn't at the start of the year. The first couple of games, he, he wasn't an opening night starter for the Timberwolves. He was kind of, you know, barely in the rotation. He was in and out of the rotation last season. He ended up being one of the Wolves' best all-around players this year and a vital part of the team, um, although we saw his minutes wane a little bit towards the end of the season based on matchups. So both really interesting players to consider. I want to talk about each of them today on the show. I spend about half the show on each of them. Um, and then also a quick note about Friday. I'm going to talk to Chilango Langison, of course, who was my co-host for the live postcast we did towards the end of the season. And uh, he's he writes over at Zone Coverage. He's on the he co-hosts the CND NBA podcast. We're going to break down D'Angelo Russell. That'll be in the entire show for Friday. Is the D'Lo conundrum? First of all, what was his season like? Second of all, you know what was it like relative to expectations? And also, I think we have to talk about the fact that he's a max contract player. What happens? He's eligible for an extension now. He's a unrestricted free agent after next season. 
we have to look through the lens of how the season ended, the the playoff struggles that he had, obviously played well in the play-in and I guess one of the games against Memphis, but he had some pretty poor performances when it really mattered most in the playoffs. How do we kind of weigh all the different factors as we review his season and look at, you know, what's the deal outlook as we go into summer 22 and into the fall of 22 and, and, and next season. Um, so that'll be Friday's show. So we'll start today by talking uh, about, uh, who do we want to talk about first? Uh, let's do let's do Jared Vanderbilt first and we'll close with Malik Beasley. So Jared Vanderbilt, of course, was acquired as part of that massive four-team deal uh, way back in February 2020, so roughly a month before COVID-19, about five weeks before COVID-19, halted the NBA season. Uh, this was done at the deadline, one of three deals the Timberwolves made the week of the trade deadline that season. This was the big deal um, that, that the big deal that wasn't the D'Angelo Russell deal, right? This is the one that brought Malik Beasley and Wancho to Minnesota. It also, uh, sent out Kata Bates, the up, sent out Shabazz Napier, sent out Noah Vonley. Um, the Timberwolves got the Evan Turner contract. Clint Capella went from Houston to Atlanta. The Wolves also sent out Robert Covington. So basically the Wolves are trading a bunch of expiring contracts, Napier, Vonley, Bates, the up, and, uh, Jordan Bell, plus Robert Covington, who was seen as uh, one of their major trade chips that year. And they got back Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez, which is a, a pretty reasonable return. Uh, there were some picks that changed hands there as well. Um, in fact, the Wolves actually got a pick along with Evan Turner's expiring contract. So even in the moment, this felt like a win. Even if there wasn't like one fantastic player they were getting back for Robert Covington, there were some varying reports uh, on what Rocco was actually worth at the time. The Wolves got back Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez. Uh, the rest of that year, they both played in, I think it was like 12, 14 games each with the Wolves. Um, well, actually, I have it right here in front of me. Uh, 14 games before COVID shut down the season. They were both fantastic. Malik Beasley over those 14 games averaged 20.7 points per game um, and uh, for the Timberwolves. And um, I mean, just was kind of a revelation. Um, the Jared Vanderbilt piece is is really interesting because he was kind of an afterthought in this trade. In the moment, nobody was really talking about Jared Vanderbilt coming to Minnesota. Um, he was he was the other piece, right? Beasley and Watcho were the names that people knew. They were rotation guys on a playoff team. Vando at the time was somebody who had played in just uh, a total over two seasons of 26 NBA games. He'd played just a little bit in the G League. He was a second round pick after being a major high school recruit at Kentucky, but injuries limited him to, what did he play? Like 11 games at Kentucky, uh, 14 games at Kentucky, his lone season there. And he's drafted mid-second round by the Denver Nuggets, or actually by the Magic traded on draft night to the Nuggets. In the moment, I talked about him as kind of the unsung uh, acquisition of the trade. And the reason I said this wasn't because I thought Vando would necessarily be exactly what he is now, although I basically thought that. I don't want to take all that credit, but what I said at the time was the Wolves were trading a 24-year-old you know, guy who's okay at several things in KDB-C up for a flyer on a guy who's really good at a couple of things that are really projectable with a big ceiling, an affordable, non-guaranteed contract, extra years, a younger player, 19 years old at the time of the trade. And this was just essentially a side swap in the trade. The Wolves said, we'll give you KBD to Denver if you give us Vanderbilt. I'm sure that Gerson Rosa said like, hey, let's slide this in as part of the deal. Yes, Beasley is the quote unquote headliner. Wancho is another name people know. There's a lot of other names, Capella and Covington and these names flying around in this trade. Let's let's see if we could trade out Bates Diop, who is a second round pick for Vanderbilt, who is a second round pick. The age difference is still like five years. 
this, you know, yes, Katie Bates Seattle was the Big Ten player of the year, but he was also like 23 when he was. And Jared Vanderbilt was an underachieving major national recruit at the University of Kentucky battling injuries, but had the length, the athleticism, the upside, um, some ball handling ability, some passing ability, just some kind of really interesting skills that could mesh together and be really functional at the NBA level. The Wolf said, hey, let's make this swap. Let's make this happen. Let's give you Bates the up and you give us Vando. The Nuggets, Vando was never going to play for the Nuggets. That This team was so deep at the time. They were probably 13 to 14 guys deep. And Bates Diop, in their mind, was like, okay, you know, he could be kind of a, a depth piece for us in the playoffs. Like, he could play some four for us in the playoffs if we need him in a pitch. He ended up playing in the bubble for them, for the Nuggets. And the, the thought for them was, this is an end-of-the-bench swap. If, if this is what we got to do to get this deal done, let's just do it. And they didn't think too much about it, uh, I'm sure. And this was kind of like, all right, fine. We'll get the older guy who, who could be serviceable in a pinch, trade out the young, you know, raw player in Vanderbilt. And it was a stroke of genius by the Timberwolves front office, as we saw over the past year plus with Jared Vanderbilt in a Timberwolves uniform. So I want to break down his season next, and then we'll talk about Malik Beasley, um, who, of course, was acquired in that same deal, as I mentioned a moment ago. So we're going to do all that here next. First, though, let's talk about our friends over at Bet Online. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's NBA playoffs, MLB scores, fights, and even next season's NLF futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Uh, there's plenty to talk about related to playoff lines. Again, fascinating the way the the Warriors, well, really all the series are going back and forth. And now with Philadelphia on the brink of, of a collapse this season, what that line is going to look like in Philly, Miami game six. Be sure to check out all that over at betonline.net. You can head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks again for making Locked On Wolves your first listen every single day. Make sure to go check out the Locked On NBA Big Board Host Raphael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Draft, excuse me, NBA Big Board Newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA Draft, mock drafts, player rankings, and of course, big boards. It's free and available wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, so Jared Vanderbilt, all the reasons I already listed are the reasons why I thought he was a perfect fit for the Timberwolves. If you created a four in a lab to fit next to Carlton Towns, you would you would want uh, somebody with some length, some athleticism, some switchability, some versatility, the ability to rebound um, in, in a perfect world to stretch the floor, but at least a little bit of offensive talent to to pass or spot up shoot. Vando does all those things except the spot up shooting. And he's maybe he's a, a little shorter than the ideal solution next to Carlton Towns. But everything else is absolutely perfect. A low, And also, I should mention low usage. That's a big part of this, too. You want someone who's at least somewhat of a threat offensively, which Vando is not, 
But low usage is even more important. You don't need a guy who has to have the ball in his hands to, to make an impact on the game. Think back to some of the guys that Wolves have tried at the four next to Towns. Dario Saric didn't work. Now, partly because he missed, he couldn't make open threes. He tried to do too much with the ball in his hands at times. He was kind of supposed to be a point forward type at the NBA level. Wasn't a good fit, ultimately, next to Carl Anthony Towns. Nemanja Bielitsa needed the ball in his hands a little bit too much. Otherwise, was a pretty good fit next to Towns. Was a little bit overwhelmed defensively. I think he was underrated defensively, but a half step slow with the Wolves. Took him a minute to get used to the NBA game uh, in terms of defending, got into foul trouble, that sort of thing. Um, you go back even further and, and look at the list of kind of more traditional not traditional, but really the more stretch, more stretch fours the Wolves tried next to Towns. And uh, it just wasn't ever a good fit. The best fit next to Towns was Taj Gibson, who of course was long in the tooth in Minnesota, was never a guy who could stretch the floor, although he could knock down mid-range jumpers, certainly more so than had more range on a shot than Vando did, was a very low usage player, effective and versatile defensively and a good rebounder. Um, but because he was so limited offensively and while he was a good defender at his age, he wasn't a good enough, switchable enough defender to really do everything the Wolves needed him to do. And he also didn't really block shots, but still that was the best pairing for Towns. And Vando was obviously younger, longer, uh, more, more mobile, uh, a little bit more of a, an, certainly more of a lob threat, a pick and roll type lob threat around the basket and also more of a shot blocker than Taj Gibson. Um, again, not that Vando is a shot blocker, but more than Taj Gibson. And Vando brought all those things to the table for Minnesota. It took the Wolves a little while to actually put him in the rotation. It was mid-last season before we really saw that under Ryan Saunders. And then he he lost his spot in the rotation, earned it back under Chris Finch. And then this year, by game three, he was, or game four, I guess, he was in the starting lineup and guarding Giannis Attentacumpo in that Wolves road win over the Bucks in game four of the season uh, back in October. And we saw all the positives of Jared Vanderbilt, and that's doing the dirty work being that hustle guy, diving on the floor for loose balls, jumping passing lanes, being athletic enough to 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 uh, you know exit on the perimeter, to recover and contest at the rim, to grab a rebound, to actually get a rebound and get out on, on the fast break. You don't want Vando running all of your fast breaks, but he can put the ball on the floor. He can pass the ball. Something he did quite a bit at Kentucky was the assist rate was, um, was maybe a little bit uh, not talked about enough. But all things that he was able to bring to the table the Wolves didn't previously have. He had a usage rate of under 11%, meaning that less than 11% of the Wolves' possessions while he was on the floor were used by Jared Vanderbilt. Um, rebound rate was 17.8%. Defensive rebound rate was just a hair under 24%, which is good. It was a better rebound rate than Carl Anthony Towns. Um, but because of his size and the amount of time he spent on the perimeter switching and spent on the perimeter um, playing that high wall pick and roll coverage. It's the same reason why Towns rebound rate was down this year is because the bigs were so often out on the perimeter and Vando was in that role. Sometimes he was actually guarding wings, uh, you know, straight up on the perimeter instead of being down, down near the basket, which on the one hand, obviously hurt the Timberwolves overall rebounding numbers. But on the other hand, um, it, it's a reasonable explanation for why uh, Vando's rebound numbers were lower and it makes the rebound rate itself that much more impressive given how little he was truly around the rim and in the paint in a good rebounding position on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, but again, the low usage, high rebound flexibility defensively is all really good. The issues the Wolves had offensively were that they could really only put him in the dunker spot on offense and teams. We saw this in the playoffs would literally just let him be um, and, and dare the Timberwolves to pass him the ball. And unless he was able to get a dunk, 
that was a pretty winning strategy for opposing defenses. Um, he played, Vando played just 18 minutes in the game one win against Memphis. He played only nine minutes in the blowout loss in game two. He played much heavier minutes the rest of the series, including the big game, the big win in game four. Uh, he played 35 minutes, had 12.8 rebounds in that game, and is really good. We saw a lot of this from Vando throughout the season where if the matchup wasn't just right, Chris Finch was okay with pulling the plug and not playing him as much. Um, and, I, you know, I get why that happened, but by and large, and we saw Finch say this post game a couple of times this year, the Wolves are just a better team with Jared Vanderbilt on the floor. Um, if you review the two-man lineups this season for Vanderbilt, uh, I mean, anything, any of the net rating numbers really kind of bear that out. The only player that Jared Vanderbilt, this is interesting, actually, the only player that Vando played with that he had a negative net rating alongside was Nas Reed. Um, and they didn't play a ton together, just 400 minutes over the course of the season. Um, there were obviously some overlap, but Vando largely started. Nas almost exclusively came off the bench. So a lot of those minutes were actually when Carl Anthony Towns was out and Vando and Reed both started. Uh, but that was the only matchup or the only pairing, I should say, where Vando had a negative net rating. It was only a minus 1.6. And I think that had just as much to do with Nas's limited offensive skill set compared to Towns. Again, not compared to your average center throughout the league, but compared to Towns, the Wolves offense just in general wasn't as good with Towns off the floor, obviously. And so putting Nas in that role and asking Vando to keep doing the same thing he did alongside Towns is challenging because there's obviously a drop-off between Towns and Nas Reed. Um, overall, this was a successful season for Jared Vanderbilt and that contract that he signed is an absolute steal. Remember, he was a restricted free agent just last offseason, and it took a little bit to get him inked to the deal, and it ended up, it's going to end up being an absolute steal. The Wolves still have two more years on this deal for Vando, 4.6 million next year, and 4.9 million the year after that. Um, and uh, I believe there's still even a, an option there somewhere, uh, but either way, I mean, it's an absolute steal to get Vando for under 5 million. Um, his defense, I think, one-on-one on-ball defense is perhaps a little overrated because I, he does struggle against some of the quicker wings and guards, but he's absolutely versatile and switchable, can guard two through four very comfortably in some fives, really, I guess, three through five and some twos is probably more accurate. Um, but he's kind of the bigger version of Jade McDaniels and how he's able to defend. And when the Wolves put out a lineup with Patrick Beverly, the length of Patrick Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt, plug in Anthony Edwards in the middle and a big body and intelligent guard in D'Angelo Russell. There's a reason that the Timberwolves starting lineup and obviously plus Carl Anthony Towns was so good from a net rating perspective and surprised people um, in terms of their overall defensive numbers because the Wolves play this high wall blitzing pick and roll defense. They use their length, their athleticism, their relative youth to clog passing lanes, to be active with their hands, to get a ton of deflections, to get out and run and transition fueling their offense when it really, the half court offense was terrible the first couple months of the season, really three months of the season for the Wolves. But the offense was fueled in transition and the secondary break actions out of that because of how effective the defense was, the active hands, the deflections, the fast break opportunities. And Jared Vanderbilt was a major part of that. It was Vando, it was Patrick Beverly, it was Anthony Edwards, and then off the bench, uh, Jade McDaniels. So Vando is invaluable to this team. Could the Wolves upgrade the four spot next to Carl Anthony Towns? Yes. Is Vanderbilt's best role most likely as kind of a third big that can come in and play the four, depending on matchups, play 30 minutes a night or might only play 15 minutes a night? Absolutely. I think he's best suited as that energy guy who plays heavy minutes, really dictated by matchups. I don't think he's matchup proof. Um, and and that is his limitation. It's why he's probably not a shoe in full-time 
starter forever sort of a thing. The Wolves could absolutely upgrade at the four. Will they be able to though? Probably not. And Vanderbilt is a serviceable option and is absolutely worthy of being a top flight, you know, top six, seven rotation guy in a, in a playoff rotation. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. And, and the Wolves would have been absolutely lost without Jared Vanderbilt this year. It's a feather in the cap of the Gerson Rosas regime, which of course, uh, Sachin Gupta was part of, um, a very intelligent acquisition at the deadline or just prior to the deadline a little over two years ago. All right, let's close the show by talking Malik Beasley. Could probably do a whole show talking about Malik, frankly. Um, but let's talk about what his season looked like and also, as we did with Fando, relative to expectations and what this could look like next year in, in terms of what uh, Beasley could potentially bring to the table. First of all, let's talk about our friends over at rockauto.com. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Winder often pointless through seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com both at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every single customer, and they have everything you could possibly need from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil to even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solutions your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's talk Malik Beasley. So Beasley, of course, came over in that same trade that we already talked about with Vanderbilt, the, the four-team trade. It was Beasley, it was Vanderbilt, it was Juancho Hernan Gomez, who, of course, has since moved on. Beasley, as I mentioned earlier, averaged over 20 points a game in those 14 remaining games in the 1920 season. He, in the offseason then, following uh, the shortened COVID season, only having played 14 games in a Wolves uniform, got into that uh, that legal issue in Minnesota ended up being suspended by the league during the following season with the legal case pending, ultimately ended up going to to jail for a few weeks in the offseason following last season. But last season, all of this was still playing out and he got off to a great start during the season as he had finished the previous year extremely well, got a ham- had a hamstring injury, missed some time. And then he was suspended, or I think I got that flipped. He was suspended first for like a dozen games. Then he got a hamstring injury and ended up missing the rest of the season. Played in just 37 games of the shortened 72-game season. Went to jail over the offseason. His entire offseason program was pushed back because of that. Came into camp a little bit out of shape. I believe he even admitted that he was a little bit out of shape. Had a, of course, you go to jail for four, five, six weeks in the middle of the summer. It's going to change the way that your summer looks. It's going to change the way that you prepare for the upcoming season. 
and he just didn't have a good year. Um, again, the first season plus in Minnesota, those 14 games at the end of the 1920 season, 20.7 points per game, 42.6% from three, 47% from the floor. Last season in 37 games, 39.9% from three, so effectively 40%, 19.6 points per game, and he was a regular starter. Over those first couple of seasons, he started um, every game but one in, in a Timberwolves uniform. He played in, what, uh, 51 games and started 50 of them between 1920 and 2021. This year, though, with the acquisition of Patrick Beverly, with the emergence of Jared Vanderbilt, the emergence, obviously, of Anthony Edwards uh, in his second year, Beasley was not a starter for much of this season. He only started when there were some lineup shuffles due to injury, and eventually the Wolves landed on him not starting regardless and just bringing him off the bench, keep him comfortable with the second unit. The numbers overall were not nearly as good, just 12.1 points per game, obviously roughly seven minutes less per game, and much more of a role similar to what he did with the Denver Nuggets prior to coming to Minnesota. But the shooting numbers weren't even as good as they'd been in Denver. Um, the the 47% from the field he shot his last year in Denver, he shot just 39.1% from the field this year for the Wolves, 37.7% on threes, which of course is fine, but it's not as good as his career mark or the 40% he shot off the bench his last year in Denver or the 40% he'd shot thus far in Minnesota prior to this season. It almost felt like when Beasley was coming off the bench, he knew that that was his opportunity. He had to, you know, fire the ball at the rim the second he got it. Um, and he was... He just wasn't as good. 75% of his field goal attempts were threes, which was by far the highest mark of his career. He'd never shot more than 55% of his shot attempts from outside the arc. 55% was his previous career high in terms of three-point rate. This year, it was 74.9%. Three-quarters of his shot attempts were threes, um, which is generally not a big deal. It's just he never really found a rhythm early in the season, and it took getting hot kind of mid-late season around the All-Star break for him to really take off and have a successful end of the year. Um, of course, along with that territory comes a ridiculously low turnover rate of less than 5%. Um, he doesn't do much else. He doesn't he doesn't tally assists. He doesn't rebound the ball. In fact, this was his worst rebounding season in the last three years in terms of rate. Um, and he had a lot of those kind of empty numbers games where he'd play, literally play 18 minutes and not log a single statistic. That happened a couple of times this season. I'm going to see if I can find those exactly here. But there were a couple of those just zeros nights. Um, and it's really tough to justify giving a guy like that heavy minutes. Like here's one against the Spurs. Uh, I believe this was the Carl Thitty Towns 60 uh, plus point game. It was. Beasley played 19 minutes, was 0 for 1 shooting in 19 minutes, had no other stats, no rebounds, no assists, no steals, no blocks, no turnovers, no fouls, no points scored. He played 19 minutes and just zeros across the board. There was another game he played 17 minutes, got up six threes, but he had no rebounds, no assists, no steals, no blocks, no turnovers, um, just didn't do much else. There's several others where you've got one you got a one somewhere in the middle and then a lot of zeros. Uh, the rebound rate, the assist rate, all that stuff was very low. He had some flashes this year where he played better defense, got more steals, um, but it just wasn't the year the Wolves were looking for out of Beasley. And you can certainly point to the rough offseason. Uh, you could point to the, the he did not have a cemented role. He was kind of bouncing back and forth. You know, the Wolves are asking him to, to do some different things. I say that. He didn't start a game until mid-December. But after that point, it was like, what is his actual role, right? What What is his role moving forward with this Timberwolves team? And he saw himself as a starter and said as much publicly. In the playoffs, he basically saw his minutes decline each game. In fact, in the game one win, he played 30 minutes and scored 23 points. He made four threes. 
And then after that, he only played 20 or more minutes two more times. He only scored double figures one one other time in the series. He scored 11 points on 12 shots in the game three collapse to the Grizzlies. So a disappointing playoff run, but perhaps not so coincidentally, when he was right in game one, the Timberwolves played much better. The Wolves need to have another guy who can get hot, who can carry the load offensively, and who can be a dynamic three-point shooter. While the Wolves have several good three-point shooters, Carlton Towns is really the only clear above and beyond like plus plus three point shooter on this team, 41% for the year. Beasley is the only other guy who they could really expect to be 40% or more. Um, the other guys are mostly volume shooters, right? Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell. Um, they're supposed to be good three point shooters, but at higher volumes and, and with deep range, Beasley is supposed to be the catch and shoot hair trigger release guy in the open floor in the half court. You're running plays for Beasley to get him open threes. He's supposed to be that guy to add that dimension to the Timberwolves offense. And we just didn't see that this year. He was never comfortable. I think for me, coming into this last season, I thought the Wolves would be better than people realized. You know, obviously people were distracted by the fact they didn't make any significant acquisitions. I thought basically standing pat, another year of growth for Ant, for Cat, uh, another year to be together with D'Angelo Russell, an actual training camp, but a season with Chris Finch. I thought there'd be natural internal growth to improve the team. I think if Malik Beasley's on this team next year, that could be the case with Malik Beasley. Not because he's going to get a lot better. I mean, what, he's going to be in his his age uh, 26 season next year. So I guess he still should be improving. But I think it's more because the role will be more settled. He'll know what to expect from Coach Finch, from his teammates. They'll all have been together for another season. And there will just be that comfort level will be greater. And also the preparation from Beasley's perspective, the conditioning, all that stuff will be better so there will be some inherent growth and improvement from Malik Beasley and therefore from the Timberwolves as a whole offensively from outside the arc for their transition offense. All that stuff is going to be better because Beasley will have a more traditional offseason, hopefully. Um, and and that should really mean a much better overall season next year for the Wolves on the offensive end of the floor and for Beasley individually. The one thing to note here, and I said this, one of the immediate shows right after the playoff loss uh, when when the Timberwolves were eliminated, is that Beasley's probably the most likely Timberwolf to be traded this offseason. I think it's more likely he's moved than D'Angelo Russell simply because I think the contract is reasonable. Um, I think Beasley's deal with one year and then a, a team option is very reasonable. I think there's a team that thinks they could plug and play him as a starting two. They've seen what he could do with high volume opportunities. He gets a little under 15 and a half million next year and then a team option for 16 and a half million the following season. So he could effectively be seen as an expiring contract if he doesn't have a good year next year. But if he's awesome, you get him for $16.5 million the following year, and he's still only 28 years old. So it's a contract that's tradable, and the Wolves may be open to trading it because, remember, when they signed him initially, they didn't have Anthony Edwards. They do now, and they have Jaden McDaniels, and they have you know Jalen Noel at a much lower cost, not that Noel's necessarily Malik Beasley. Um, they're obviously they're also different players, but they play the same position. So the thought is Beasley could be the perfect combination of salary that's significant enough that the Wolves could get something back in return when they're matching salaries and also flexible enough that another team could take a flyer on Beasley. Even a playoff team could could see him as a potential starting option uh, you know, for, for a playoff team. Um, uh, the flip side of that coin is he was essentially the sixth man, seventh man, 
supposed to be the number one bench scoring option for a playoff team in the Wolves, and he didn't adapt to that role well. So if another playoff team is worried and doesn't think he's a starter, they're worried about him as a sixth man. Maybe they are scared off by this season. But all it takes is one, right? I've said that before about different Wolves players. If there's a team, a fringe playoff team, that thinks they could plug him in at the two and you know he scores 19, 20 a game, shoots 40% from three, they get to the playoffs, all it takes is one. And there's value there. He's still only 25 years old on a reasonable contract, scored 20 a game uh, over the last couple of seasons prior to the legal issues and, and the, some injuries. Uh, there is still some upside there for Malik Beasley. So of all the Timberwolves, I think he's the most likely to be traded this offseason. But if he's back with the Wolves, I would expect him to have a much better season in 22-23 than he did in 21-22. All right, that's all we have for you today here on the show. On Friday, we're going to talk to Angel Russell with Chalanga Langison from Zone Coverage in the CND NBA podcast. So be sure to, to tune in to Friday's show um, and enjoy some NBA basketball, NBA playoff basketball this weekend as well. Um, I, another big thank you for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, the show is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, Apple, Google, Spotify, and Odyssey. You can also follow on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves and my account, which is at B Beacon with two B's, two E's. C-K-E-N. A reminder that the Locked On Wolves podcast is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. And a reminder that you can listen to the Locked On NBA show from the first jump ball of the play-in to the last possession of the finals. Locked On experts take you deep inside the playoffs with insight and analysis affecting all 30 teams. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked On Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.